Wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, a wrestling history podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 107, in which my guest is my fellow pro wrestling illustrated writer, Kristen Ashley, and we'll be having a conversation all about women's wrestling and a few other topics as well. Before we get to that this week, a few things that I want to get out of the way. First of all, I want to make mention of a couple of recent podcast appearances that I made that you might want to check out. I was on the Sunday night's main event podcast. I had a really good time on that show talking about blood and fire, talking about the latest events happening in wrestling and all that other kind of fun stuff. And again, that is the Sunday night's main event podcast. I'm on episode 318 if you're looking for it. I did post about it, but if you're looking for it, that's the one. Also, I recently had the chance to be on The Whip Show, the Wrestling Heroes and Insiders podcast. It's always fun to make an appearance on that show. We got to talk about the WrestleMania 40 kickoff, the Vince McMahon stuff, all stuff in the current landscape of wrestling that I don't typically talk about on here. So again, that's The Whip Show, and I was on the February 9th live episode of that show. You can easily find it. I've also posted those links as well, and we'll be posting them to the Shut Up and Wrestle Facebook group. On the Irresistible Force front, the life and times of Gorilla Monsoon, I want to give you guys the good news that I have completed chapter five of that book, which looked at the early 60s pre-WWF pro wrestling career of Gino Morella. I'm now jumping headlong into the stuff that probably the most people who are buying the book are the most interested in reading about, which is Gorilla Monsoon coming to the Worldwide Wrestling Federation and becoming the star that we all know and love in the mid-1960s. And that's going to be Chapter 6, The Manchurian Giant, which I'm now beginning. The book is moving along, and I'm so excited because I can see that the end is in sight where I will one day within the next year, hopefully, be able to deliver this book to all of you fine listeners. And the last thing I want to mention before we get to the interview, I mentioned this last week, I'm going to keep talking about it, but I will be the special guest commentator. For those of you in the Connecticut area, in the New York Tri-State area, if you're anywhere near Hamden, Connecticut, on March 1st, I will be at Blood, Sweat, and Tears Wrestling presents Lethal Leap Year. At the Devonshire Hall in Hamden, Connecticut, I will be there. Um, I'll also be signing and selling copies of Blood and Fire. If you want to come on down and say hello, you can find out all about it on Twitter. It is uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears Wrestling is BST underscore wrestling. And you can also find them on Facebook. Just look up Blood, Sweat, Tears Wrestling. 
They are a Bridgeport-based independent wrestling promotion. And if you come on down to the show, please let me know if you found out about it on Shut Up and Wrestle. Now, speaking of Shut Up and Wrestle, let's shut up and get to this week's conversation. So I've known Kristen now for a couple of years. We've been on the staff together, the contributing staff of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. She is one of the leading minds covering the women's side of professional wrestling today. She's been a wrestling fan for over a decade. She has a lot of unique insights that I was happy to learn about and share today. Also, you'll find in this week's conversation probably a lot more discussion of current contemporary wrestling than I usually do on this show, which is fine because I cover the current wrestling landscape. And it's a nice change of pace on Shut Up and Wrestle to connect the past to the present. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, and I'm going to take you to it right now. Okay, so it's my pleasure this week on Shut Up and Wrestle to welcome somebody who is a colleague of mine from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, a longtime wrestling fan, and also a very outspoken and very knowledgeable advocate for women's wrestling, which is an important topic that we're going to talk about this week, among other things, I'm sure. And her name is Kristen Ashley. Kristen, thank you so much for being a guest on Shut Up and Wrestle. <laughs> Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I've been I've been knocking, you know, kind of like checking off names on the PWI masthead. And, um, <laughs> you know, I won't be satisfied until I've had everybody that I work with on this show. Everybody. Wow. That's that's great, though. <laughs> Very ambitious. I like it. Yeah. Or, or at least yeah. the people that, you know, actually like wrestling i don't know if i'm going to have the graphic designers Ooh. of pwi oh, sure sure you know or right. like the copy <laughs> editors and people like that but the people yeah. who write about wrestling i certainly will and sure. actually we were talking recently because um we're both now it's looking like we're being included on a project about uh women's wrestling and the history of women's wrestling it's the, the documentary i've talked about on here before that is basically going to accompany the movie Queen of the Ring, the Mildred Burke movie that comes out next or actually now this year in the summer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, I'm certainly not a you or Dave there's, Meltzer. A, there's only one. Me. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm certainly not. I wouldn't consider myself a historian, but um, it's pretty hard to not consider yourself an advocate without at least being aware of some of the stuff that happened back then. And. Um, all all of the struggles that go through with that because you think it's bad now, right? You think it's a struggle now. Wow. <laughs> Back mm -hmm. then, forget it. Complete struggle. Yeah, that's so true. And that's why sometimes, you know, it's like a line you walk where you want to, you don't want to be dismissive of people's concerns today, but you also want to have perspective too. So like sometimes when people will say or people will complain you know, I mean, AEW is an easy target. They get, and I <laughs> promise everybody, we will not just be talking about <laughs> AEW on this show. Yeah, yeah. But like, they're an easy target, and people say, "Well, the representation of women's wrestling is not so great there." And certainly, by the standards today of mainstream mm -hmm. wrestling, it's probably not. But again, you could easily say that the last what, like, ten years, has been like the golden age of yeah. women's wrestling ever. Absolutely. Like, I think. Yeah. You know, that's what it's going to be known for. Right. And you, I've seen wrestlers on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it now, 
who who themselves say, well, you know, look at even 20 years ago or look at the 80s when, you know, you look at WWF or W. I mean, they had nobody on there. Moolah, yeah. right? That was, that was their, their women's wrestler. So, <laughs> so um, they would say, you know, look at 20 years ago to now. And I agree. I agree that there's been progress. I don't think it necessarily undermines the idea that we want it to get better. Sure. Because it's still not great. I mean, if you're looking for any sense of equality, it's not there yet. So I, I'm of the mind that it can always improve. But sure. Yeah. I mean, compared to even 20 years ago. Wow. Huge. Right. And and yeah. yeah, because then you'll get the people who will say, like, it's the worst right now that it's ever been and i'm like oh no i don't know like tell me you're 12 (laughs) without telling me you're 12 (laughs) right like i remember well first of all let let what let's start with this what first got you into wrestling in general and then Mm -hmm. women's wrestling in particular sure so i my family's always been a wrestling family but it's been wwe um my dad grew up in uh atlanta I think Mr. Wonderful 2, I want to say, or Mr. Wonderful lived behind his parents. So it was very much um, everyone's aware, at least watching it. Uh, I, on the other hand, grew up at a time where it was huge in school 99, which I don't mm-hmm. remember 99 WWF was horrible. And everyone's <laughs> wearing their, you know, John Cena or their rock or whatever it may be. Um, and Steve Austin and, I look, I go, okay, well, this, everyone's wearing it. This is like, I'm 13 years old and I go and I watch some and oh my Lord. (laughs) And so even at 13 in the nineties, and I remember somebody said that their, their response to everyone's criticism of women's wrestling was, well, we're going with the times we're following pop culture, which was ridiculous in 99. That's not true. So I remember being just completely turned off by it. I I don't want to watch this anymore. And it wasn't until right before the Divas ended, so I'd say 2013-ish, a little bit before that, mm-hmm. that I come back. Um, and it was actually, I think it was Dean Ambrose at the time that actually got me back into wrestling. I really, my, I was complaining about it. <laughs> and my, my dad said, just sit and watch a pay-per-view. Just shut up and watch a pay-per-view. So I did. But even then, with the Divas, you know, their matches are getting cut. They have no matches at all on a show. Um, they're being treated like dolls and not like athletes. And I thought, man, it's not gotten much better in 15 years. So I seen and be my mother's daughter, I see what's going on. And I thought we got to do better. And then that's about the time that it became, you know, women's wrestling and not divas. Right. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and so that was like, okay, let's hitch on this because, you know, this has always been something that I believe in. I've never been taught you know, women can't do what men can do or that they're less than. Um, so seeing how much work it had to do though, and and going into the media landscape and seeing how few women there really were at least prominent upfront women in, in, in wrestling writing and all that kind of stuff. I thought this, this needs help and I should be the one to help. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's an interesting thing because I think, I think you touched on something there, which is that in the case of women and how they're booked in wrestling Mm -hmm. it would probably help if there were women involved in the booking which people will listen to this and maybe correct me but like 
I can't, I mean, yeah, there are women, for example, in WWE on the creative team, but not mm-hmm. really in positions of major power. Uh, the people who really call the shots creatively have always yeah. been men. And it would be interesting right. to see how things would look if that wasn't the case. Cause it really depends on, like you talk about the WWE, like let's say from the attitude era forward, it yeah. depended on who was in charge. Like I will say this, and I told him this, uh, the re- it went, it went up and down for a little while. Jim Ross, when he was in charge of talent relations, I thought he did a great job. That's when you had Trish and Lita and Victoria and Jackie, and they were like, taking them more seriously. I mean, there was still, it was the divas era still, but they were pushing them as wrestlers. We saw Trish who came in. She's like the classic example. She came in as a fitness model. She could have just been another Sable or whatever. And Mm -hmm. yet she became honestly one of the best female workers they ever had. I mean, she blossomed, but then you had that Johnny Ace era. I mean, when he came in, it really changed. And I told, <laughs> I said that to him and he sort of like quietly agreed. He didn't want to get too, mm-hmm. he didn't want sure. to, but yeah. that is when it became more about, we're going to go back to cheesecake and we're going to do brawn panties. And I've told it before on here, but the famous story where he, nothing against Kelly Kelly, but he had hired her because he just happened to spot her in a swimsuit catalog and just pointed her out and said, get me that girl. I mean, that happened. Right. I was working there when that happened. So, I mean, that's right. like, that's like a valley, you know, and then right. and now we're seeing another hill. Right. And, you know, I wouldn't have a problem with seeing a, a model or a fitness model and saying, let's try it. Right. They're doing that a lot at NXT now. Right. With this new college situation. But then they don't let them grow back then. Right. Then they're just right. arm candy or they're in some weird storyline with Vince or, you know, it's just affairs and and it's so crazy or I'm pregnant now I'm not pregnant and that's the problem you know if you want to pick somebody who looks as you know great cool but then in my opinion you should use them like in a, in a good way that doesn't demean women or make them seem like just some you know side note or something because the thing about it is you know wrestling's a weird thing and to a certain <laughs> degree to a certain degree Every all the participants in it, you know, aesthetics plays a part in yeah. if you get a push or if people like you or don't like you. Like it's a very looks based business for everybody. And to a certain degree, the men are occasionally, especially in the past, in certain territories, the male wrestlers would be quite sexualized. They like like yeah. we just look, the Aaron Claw just came out. And I mean, yeah. world world class in the 80s, a big part of that appeal was getting the girls to come down to see the Von Erichs boys, but it's nowhere near to the degree that women have been uh, kind of presented in wrestling. But the odd thing is this Um, back in the, like in the moolah days, like you're talking about in the eighties, one of the reasons that Wendy Richter, for example, like really stood out was that, and Wendy Richter had been one of moolah's trainees for a long time Mm -hmm. at that point was that in that era, the women wrestlers were not really they were treated first of all they were treated like a sideshow it was sort of like yeah. a sideshow act that came to your local town and it was it was almost like oh the girl the girls are going to be here next week and it was a, just a curiosity it was the curiosity mm-hmm. of seeing women 
ripping each other's hair and rolling on the floor. Like it was like, it was meant to be a shocking visual and they really, they were not terribly sexualized, but they were definitely minimized because I mean, the joke in those days with the, in the locker rooms and things was that, you know, Moolah was specifically picking her girls, picking girls who shall we say, would not really have an interest in the men in the locker room. So she didn't have to worry about any funny business happening. So there wasn't so much of that, but they were really just kind of, they were, they were a joke. There's no other way to put it. They were treated like a joke. Yeah. And I, I've always said this, I think wrestling has a really odd marketing strategy as opposed to like any other company is that they're going to push a product for fans they want, as opposed to a, a company who sells a product to someone. So, you know, a normal company has got all these plans on um, how to get customers they want, whereas wrestling tells you what you're going to watch. And so they really cater to the fans that they want. So if if Vince or Johnny Ace or whomever is coming up with plans and booking and how they're doing all this, they're their only concern is the fans that they want. So if they're not concerned about women, if they're not concerned about any, you know, if they, if they really just want men who are, you know, just eyes on the women in a, a very sexual way, that's what they're going to do. You know, they're not going to, I mean, that's one, one of my main issues with AW. <laughs> sorry, is that it's very clear to me, at least it looks like who he wants as a fan because he's pushing mm. certain product and that's going to attract a certain fan. And that's true with any promotion. It really is. And there doesn't, yeah. in that particular example, there doesn't seem to be a tremendous interest in growing your fans beyond what you already have. It's sort of like, yeah. it's like being in a secret club or something. Like, I I think mm-hmm. that's the way they want it. But I'm going to get back to that in a second. But okay. I, ha- I have to backtrack here because you okay. dropped something on my head that I can't get out of my head now. If okay. I heard this correctly now, are you saying that your family lived near Mr. Wrestling 2 in Atlanta back in the day? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Can you can you elaborate on that at all? Because Mr. Wrestling <laughs> 2, for people uh-huh. that don't know, Mr. Wrestling 2 was like a god in Atlanta back then. He was like, yeah. he was like, you know, the Hulk Hogan of, of the Omni, basically. Yeah. I don't think my my grandparents were not really into it they knew he was there (laughs) living in that neighborhood (laughs) my dad knew he was there and you know my dad was he ran with a group where he would like run he would he would meet Sonny and Cher at a party right so I don't think it's 70s right I don't think my dad really understood at the at that time what wrestling was sort of building up to and and who he probably was very much but he talks about it all the time and just how women were everywhere and and you know how it just it he he brought a lot of um extra like traffic in the neighborhood and you know there was always people driving by and but it's weird because I would assume down there there's such a hotbed of especially um older wrestlers right during that time in Atlanta just this hotbed of it so I don't know that my dad would have thought it was such a big deal and my grandparents certainly had no clue they didn't they didn't watch you know they're baptists they had no clue what was going on with wrestling (laughs) but yeah i mean he he always mentions it in passing and i think but i think that's sort of what sort of tipped him off to wrestling i think that's what he got into and there was probably this period between 
you know, the 80s and the Attitude Era where he didn't really watch it, um, which I think it's probably for the best in <laughs> some ways. There's there's that little little chunk of time where I don't think he would have liked it very much. But um, yeah, he mentions it all the time. And it wasn't until I started watching wrestling when I went, wait, what? <laughs> wait, who lived behind you? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he was like pals with Jimmy Carter. I mean, he's like, for, yeah. If, if you've never seen the picture, there's that famous picture of uh, Jimmy Carter with with Mr. Wrestling Two in a headlock. You know, it's like, yeah. Uh, and I think the story, yeah. the famous story, was he got invited to the inauguration and would not come because the Secret Service told him that he had to take his mask off. No way. Seriously, and really? he would not. He would not appear in public without his mask on. Like, I'm sure. Yeah. I am sure that Johnny Walker, Mr. Wrestling 2, went to the grocery store like everyone else without his mask on. Right. But the, but right. the thing about that was nobody knew that it was Mr. Wrestling 2. Yeah. I, if I he shows think, up at yeah. the inauguration, though, everybody knows who he With is. Pictures and, and now yeah. they know what his yeah. face looks like. So yeah, the man. Exactly. He stood by the mask. All right, I had to get that out yeah. of my system because <laughs> okay. when you just when you just yeah. randomly throw off a fact like that, oh yeah, my grandparents lived. Well, well that's how they too. speak about it. You know, right. that's how my dad. And it probably was he didn't see him with a mask, right? It probably wasn't until later that he was like, oh yeah, I live near that guy. But well, one thing I'll say, and Mister Wrestling Two is not an example of this, but one thing I'll say <laughs> is that I I do find when I look at like the difference between wrestling in the South back then and wrestling up here like wwf wrestling and stuff i i feel like there was more of an appeal or an attempt in southern wrestling like memphis mm. and mid-atlantic and georgia yeah. and things in florida to appeal to male and female fans like yeah. they would have obviously the men are easy you got the men because it's wrestling yeah. they're gonna come and watch wrestling Given. But then they would try to get like kind of good looking guys or wrestlers, guys that were young that didn't just look like they were there to like fix your sink or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, like, right. like guys that, that they could maybe get the kind of audience that maybe comes out to rock concerts or something. Whereas right. up here, that was never a thing. Like, I can't relate to that. When you watch like, you watch like old wrestling, Southern wrestling, and you hear all these screaming girls, right? You always hear a yeah. lot of that. You never heard screaming girls here in, in the New York, like <laughs> at the garden. <laughs> no, it's just all like teamsters and, you know, just sure. it, it's a totally sure. different kind of thing. They just didn't seem to have an interest in female fans. And I feel like that yeah. like permeated the whole company up until even later years. Sure. Yeah. It, And I would agree. I mean, I haven't really I guess I haven't really looked at that as opposed to Southern wrestling, you know, back then, like territory situation. But, you know. Every woman, except for my grandmother, liked wrestling. My sister is eight years older than me, and she's the one who even tried to get me to watch wrestling in, in the late 90s. And so, yeah, I mean, I totally believe that. Wrestling down there is very popular, not just professional, but collegiate, too. It's it's huge down oh, there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, there's yeah. so many areas. And that's another thing where, you know, as as an obnoxious New Yorker, it's one of those things <laughs> that I could never relate to because the thing, the truth is... There are a lot of parts of this country where they traditionally never had um, a lot of pro sports, you know, right. representation. Yeah. And so in those areas, collegiate sports are huge. Yeah. In New York, we had two pro baseball teams, two pro basketball teams, <laughs> two right. pro football teams, two hockey teams. Right. So no, nobody cared about. I grew up in New York City. Nobody cared about college sports. It just wasn't on anybody's radar. But if you're right. in. 
Oklahoma, if you're in Iowa, if you're in parts of Texas, it's like a religion, right? I mean, it's good. Yeah. Because even though today, now today we have so many more professional franchises that have spread out to the areas that never had pro sports, but it's yeah. still ingrained in the culture, like that collegiate sports thing. The the South, my dad always jokes that there's nothing in Alabama, but the Alabama college football team and like a highway because it it's all that we do down there. And that's how I learned about Ted Turner to begin with because of the Braves. And mm -hmm. we could watch, you know, we watched the Braves every single day they were on and even up here for a while until, until it was sold off. So, I mean, we lived off of that and, and I remember going to the new stadium and yeah, it's <laughs> sports down there, SEC professional, um, I would say Atlanta sports is sort of cursed in a way, <laughs> mm. but down there it's, I, I mean, even around this time, right around wrestling, like the early nineties, the Braves were winning pennants. And, and so it's very sports focused down there. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to remind me because uh, being a New York fan, the Braves were Ooh. Uh, persona non grata, especially like, cause I lived through, the glory days, well, it wasn't to me, it wasn't glory days. I mean, the Braves in the 90s were, oh my God. Yeah, they, they had a the, the Mets were with the their, their whipping boys. The, you know, the Mets would just yeah. be like, uh, you know, they would just come through and just sweep the Mets and then get back to whatever they were doing, you know, that kind <laughs> of thing. Well, yeah, the Yankees too, though. There was a huge yep. feud of the Yankees. And yep. I mean, it was all downhill from 95 until recently. So, you know. Yeah, well, again, it's like one of those things, and yes, we're it's a it's a baseball podcast now. It's folks. a baseball podcast. No, I don't it, know where we got on this. It's part of Ted Turner's weakening influence in the company. It affected so right. many things when you had all these yeah. mergers happening, and Ted Turner being kind of minimized, and therefore, you know, wrestling becomes less important. The Braves start yeah. to uh, deteriorate. His his even his networks that he his channels that he worked so hard to uniquely brand yeah. and become watered down. Like as right. more and more years go by, like whatever it is, Cartoon Network, CNN, Turner Classic Movies, like they start yeah. to stray from their original missions because Uncle Ted is not involved anymore. It's very sad. Yeah. We miss Uncle Ted. <laughs> we talk about him like he's not around. The man's still with yeah, us. He's, no. just, he's just, he's still know. alive. <laughs> him and Vint, now it's weird. I joked about this. It wasn't even really a joke. I, I put this on Twitter and I think people misunderstood what I was trying to say. I oh. said, after all these years, Vince McMahon finally got his wish. He became Ted Turner. And, <laughs> and people took it to mean like, oh, screw it. Like, like I was saying it as a compliment, like, oh, he's right. as powerful and rich as Ted Turner. And I'm like, guys, have you heard from Ted Turner lately? Like, yeah, you know what right. they did to Ted Turner? They came in, they did a buyout, they pushed him out. And the next thing you know, he's on the farm. And, yep. you know, that's what I meant. That's what I right. meant. Right. Not to say Ted Turner is is God or anything, but, you know. Down in Georgia, he's he's number one because he owns like half of Georgia. So. That's amazing. <laughs> That's, yeah. it's, it's crazy to think about that whole era of, of early cable and those those moguls and those guys that yeah. just had they wielded so much power. And his they really did when he got TBS. I forget what it was originally called locally, but when he got when he got it off the ground as you know what they called a superstation on cable <laughs> in the mid seventies, it was. It was unheard of. It was like yeah. the first of its kind where you could get 
local programming, like in that case, wrestling, but other things too. Yeah. And now right. all of a sudden it's national programming, you know? Yeah. And it's just, it's really just replays of sitcoms. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of, uh, of um, Mayberry, a whole lot <laughs> of Andy Griffith, if that's what Yeah, you're which... I mean, I mean, I don't mind that either, but you know, like, it's not a lot of original program. Yeah. No, but you know, oh, but one thing I want to say too about the, to get back to the audience thing we were talking about, where <laughs> we were saying how, um, you know, WWE seems to not, or sometimes these wrestling companies just don't seem to, they want to just get the fan that they want to get and that's it. Right. I think some of that comes from what's another hard to kill old school wrestling mentality quite frankly is um contempt for the fans i mean i oh, mean it's, yeah I, i'm not sure. going to sugarcoat it but oh. you know the the, no. the word marks exists for a reason that like wrestling mm -hmm. is this weird it has this weird psychosis i witnessed it when i worked inside of it where you have to just you can't get too excited about anything because <laughs> they don't how do i put this there is this underlying contempt for the fans and they will never admit this. In fact, they go out of their way to make it look like they're always kissing the fans butts all the time. Oh, Every, yeah. Everything yeah. is about thank you. It's all about you. But yep. there's this weird undercurrent of it almost comes from a time of could you believe these idiots believe this stuff and they're paying oh, our, yeah. us money? They're paying yeah. us money because they think this is real. Like even though that dynamic is not really accurate anymore, it's like that yeah. mentality continues on of 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 really looking down on on the fans um at least on the down low <laughs> yeah and not to say this in a derogatory way but it is it's carny behavior right yes, we and yes, Warren no, talk yes. about carny behavior all the time and what do they do when they're trying to trying to get you know people to come see the sideshows that they just they carnied it up right they really sold it and then it was like aha you got your money these fools right and so yeah. I'm not surprised that it it trickles down to, and I, you know, I totally believe today you see, I mean, well, you see some promoters at least on, on Twitter and social media, just ripping apart the fan they don't like. And it's, mm. that's what I mean by it's just a crazy business model. Yes, you're not that looking at, for new new fans. You're looking for the fans you already have, and it's crazy to me. Or, or what you're going to do is you're going to take the fans you already have and just charge them like 10 times what you were charging them before. And right. then you can come out and say, like, I stopped um, even paying attention to these news stories. You can come out and say, oh, this was the highest grossing show we've <sighs> ever had in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Yeah, of course it is, because your ticket prices are perverse. <laughs> right. That's right. why. That's why exactly. it is. You got 2,000 seats roped off. And you're still making, you know, a million times more money than you made selling out the entire arena, you know, once upon a time, right. you know, right. it, because, again, when you can't grow your audience, you just overcharge your audience. Yeah. But, but I think there is that attitude of you're going to take what we give you. You're going to mm -hmm. like what we want you to like. And that's yeah. the end of it. And when I first started like five years ago, it sounds like, oh, a million years ago, when I first started, when AEW first started my consent from day one my 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 thought from day one was what's going on with women's wrestling here and not just them with a bunch of places what's happening here 
And every single one of those big promotions will tell you, we really love our division. We really love our women. We really support them. We want them to do well, but they don't provide that. They don't give them the opportunities to do that. And I think that's sort of what I mean by they're not looking for the audience that is there. They're, they're pushing for the audience that they want. And it's not, and then that's what causes this us versus them situation, you know, because it's really pushing everybody against each other in a way. And for all, you know, you could, there's plenty of criticisms that could be leveled at WWE, but mm-hmm. they really, well, I guess you could, you can make a case for impact, but impacts visibility is so much lower in a way. WWE is, is leading the industry in, in mm-hmm. having women. I mean, yeah, it's not 50, 50. I don't know if it'll no. ever be, but probably not. <laughs> it's, they are women are a significant part of the show. Look, right. Rhea Ripley, you could make a case. I don't know if I'd agree, but you could I would listen. <laughs> you could make a case that she's the most over talent in WWE right now. You know, I, I would say uh, not that, even honestly. just of the women, but of anybody. Yeah. She is like um she transcends her title. It's almost like mm-hmm almost like unimportant that she's the champion you know what i mean it's like she's bigger than the title which is that's what you want actually honestly like she's a great example of that and they have a lot of other things going on with the women's division whereas talking about modern wrestling here folks sorry but in AEW, you know they they have a they have the multiple women's belts and i give them credit for they were like the first ones to do the mid-card women's belt in a major company in america right but it just doesn't have that same impact. And I mean, yeah. I don't know what you can always make an argument like every anytime women's wrestling falls flat or there's a segment that doesn't work or a match that doesn't work. You immediately will get people that will say, you see, I told you, I told you, yeah. well, you know, it won't work. Know. But it's all about training that audience like, you know, mm-hmm. they're, people are not wrong when they say that an AEW crowd tends to die a lot of times when women's wrestling comes on like the live yeah. crowd it's like yeah you're just like it's like oh time to go to the bathroom which was like the traditional knock on women's wrestling right it's the bathroom yeah. match all the time bathroom break but they don't do that in wwe and and sometimes right. um the matches the actual matches in AEW with the women are better in mm-hmm. some cases like i mean chris statlander i thought was i think is one of the best performers they have again male or female i could always you know you could always count on her to to have a great match and i mean there are others like that too i love tony storm but but in wwe they somehow make it feel like this is big time this is important this is a this is uh an important part of the show if you see charlotte out there if you see like we just had becky lynch and nia Jax. i mean they took nia Jax, who was like almost forgotten she was like okay the business is moving on from nia Jax, (laughs) which may have been a good thing but now all of a sudden like she's a serious threat again boom just like that like they have the power to do that uh in a way that AEW doesn't seem to right i i would agree i think there's in my opinion in my my site i'm not an expert by any means on this but for me they have in WWE, they have superstars, right? They have the Biancas, the Rias, the Beckys, the Charlottes. And then they have the people you never see. The True. women that do not show up or they're kind of the funny acts. They're the jobbers in a way and then you won't see them again forever. 
So I agree, but I, I do agree that it's a lot better at WWE with the superstar value than any other company because they do make it, this is the show. And they certainly had pay-per-views where it's the women are the show. They have more show graphics. They have more push. I mean, you can get the analytics from online and see who are they pushing the most. And absolutely, I agree. And it's with with the top stars, they're great wrestlers. But it's not always the case that they're better than other women, whether they're on the indies or Impact or AW, but they're pushed at a certain level. And yeah. I, I too find that, you know, a lot of the big stars, except for maybe Becky and and even Bailey to an extent, they really are are homegrown in a sense. They are there, they're trained there. Whereas then you have your Chris Statlander or your Sheeta, and they are from Indies or from across seas, and they have different abilities and they're trained by different people and they fought a whole lot more people than the top WWE women but then they're not shown as much. So it's this weird imbalance that I wish they could all get on the same page with. <laughs> they're also not given as much to do so that even when they right. do show up, it's like, it's quick. It's like, let's get out of this and move on. Right. It's um, but, but see, it's almost like it's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because that is yeah. also why people tune out and they're not interested. It's like this yeah. vicious cycle. Like they're not interested because it's not presented strongly enough. It's not presented right. strongly enough because they don't think the fans are interested. Yes. So yeah. like, it'll never, you know, I think the best thing they had going as far as um, somebody that was connecting was um, Britt Baker. Yeah. You know, where, where yeah. you could actually have said at one time that she was maybe the most over person in AEW. Oh, I wouldn't sure. say that now, but at one right. time I think that she was, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. but that is like the exception to me right. to the rule to what right. they have going on down there but um well yeah and it's sort of what you talked about you got it right on the head with teaching your audience you're you're never going to want to focus on women if you're if you say and i'll i'll tell you i have heard you know direct mouth mouth to ear this sort of stuff of well there's not ratings the ratings aren't there for them okay well right because you're not doing anything with them you have to teach your audience or it's never going to get better so when they don't, that tells me they don't care, that they just don't care. And maybe that's a really black and white way of looking at it. But if you're not willing to go that extra mile, and not just for a first, you know, but go the extra mile and keep it consistent, do you even care about women's wrestling? That might be bold, but it's my well, thought. Because back in the day... I'll go back to the eighties here briefly. And and even, <laughs> okay. and even in the nineties, the thing that would, when uh, like, let's say WWE, for example, it would typically be, you've got your champion, you've got your challenger. And that's the, that's the division. Like it's just right. whoever, whoever <laughs> the champion is wrestling and then she'll beat that person and then, or maybe lose to that person. And then the other woman disappears and then a new yeah. woman comes on the scene and there's two women, you know, so it was like you had, yeah, what, you know, Mulan, Wendy Richter. Okay. And then, then now you got Mulan, Leilani Kai, and then you got, okay, mm -hmm. now it's Wendy Richter and sensational Sherry. Now it's sensational Sherry and rock and Robin, you know, <laughs> right. or like years later, it would be Alundra blaze. And now we got, um, um, oh, what's her name? Bull Nakano. Right. Okay. Now <laughs> okay. Bull Nakano is out. Now we got Aja Khan. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, that seemed to be, 
again, they were like putting them into their little corner, even though I would say that in that era, my God, and she'll tell you this too. Mm-hmm. Alondra Blaze, Medusa was having some of the best matches anywhere oh, in American absolutely. wrestling. Anywhere. Absolutely. Like her matches were highlights. It would be like yeah. if, there, if there was a woman's, if, if she was wrestling on that card, I knew it was maybe going to be the best match on the card. Absolutely. I think back then, and I've I've spoke with Warren about this a ton that women back then were were getting over in spite of the promotion. They were mm-hmm. really, you know, like fan favorites, or they were really getting a lot of acclaim, and not because they were being pushed, but because of their talent. Yeah, yeah, they were kind of stealing the show in a way, which right, right. I guess they don't. It's a weird thing. It's like they actually don't like when you steal the show, which. I can understand why from the point of view of the people running the show, I don't know, it kind of sure. messes with your plans or whatever, but why not go yeah. with the flow? You know, it's right. like right. I even had um, I had Vince even kind of say this to me in an interview I did with him once where he talked about one of the most famous cases of stealing the show is Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage mm-hmm. at WrestleMania three stealing sure. the show in a way from Andre the Giant and yeah. Hulk Hogan. And he brought that up and he kind of dismissed it as just a dumb idea. He was like, yes, they did. It was a great match. It was fun. But they served their role on the show and their role was not Mm -hmm. to be the main event. You know, that was his point of view. The main event was Andre and Hogan. And that's why people were there. And he's not wrong about that. But he was annoyed by the idea. He was annoyed by the idea that fans, a lot of fans seem to think that that was the best part of WrestleMania was Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat. Oh, sure. I think I say this a ton when you get wrestlers or promoters or who seem very delusions of grandeur. How do you not work in this business without thinking that your opinion is the only opinion that matters? How do you not work in this business when you think you are king of the mountain? Because you're never going to get anywhere as a promoter or a talent if you don't think that you're the best. And that's sure. really the whole point. It's all competition. That's how you win. So I'm not surprised at all. And I'm not surprised that any promoter would be annoyed. Like, I I had plans for this. Why You should like what I like. Why did this go astray? I don't doubt that one. <laughs> I bet all of them do that. That's what leads to things like when Zack Ryder basically got like buried just because he got over. Essentially, we saw it happen in recent years with Chad Gable. Mm. He was getting over organically and they turned him into Shorty G. I mean, you couldn't bury somebody deeper into the ground than what they did with him when he was getting himself over. But with Daniel Bryan, that was it was a weird thing where he got over. It, It was that situation. Yeah. And they actually decided to go with it. But the way they went right. with it was by playing into what fans thought was the real story of him getting buried. Like they right. actually you would get people back at back then. It was so funny to me. People you really have to laugh because you think like as smart as fans think they are, they still <laughs> get worked all the time. Oh, Cause sure. Because yeah. you had people like on Twitter and like legit, like so-called smart fans being like Daniel Bryan is going to prove these people wrong and they can't keep this guy down. And he's showing it every week. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, (laughs) he's like the most prominently featured star on the show. Like he happens to be in a storyline where he's trying to overcome his boss. 
He's yeah. not getting buried. He's not getting buried right. on that show. It's He's... just a sh- yeah. It's a story. It's right. Literally, it's literally, they're they're putting him on. He's not breaking in rooms and putting himself on TV. Like if they really That's wanted funny. to bury him, do you know what they would do? Not put him on TV. Right. He not wouldn't be put booked. him in the main event. Right. Have him right. lose to nobodies on opening matches. <laughs> like. That's right. what they would do. Just just yeah. send him home. Right. And, you know, um, this is not burying. Like, like no, we're going to make you beat all these guys. And that's how you'll get a shot at the title at WrestleMania. Yeah, like, that's not burying anybody. That's like the plot of Rocky. You know, you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> Rocky, too. Yeah. Well, and then, too, if you think about it back then, fans were really the ones. Who are burying him, right? Like, oh, he's so small. And that's like the issue today, right? Oh, Rio's so small, Rio's so small. So, like, yeah, if you're smart enough to realize that this is a storyline and that he doesn't book himself, then what you're doing out there by saying, Oh, he's the underdog, is that you're seeing him as the underdog. They're right. not. I mean, they might sell you on the fact that he's an underdog, but they obviously don't see it that way. And the issue for me, right, they did they, they didn't. The issue for me with size of wrestlers when people complain about that and and something and they do it about men too sometimes yeah. is i find the way around that is you have to try to book in a believable way like i think you create a backlash and i think AEW does this and mm-hmm. you know I, I think rio has an appeal but i think they mishandle her you can't just take a very small wrestler male or female and put them in there with somebody who's way bigger than them, unless it's part of the storyline and unless you're going to work the match in a way that reflects that. And I say, I feel the same way about Darby Allen. I saw Darby Allen on a card on a Northeast wrestling card where he was wrestling uh wrecking ball. Ligurski, you know, the guy from the NWA, mm-hmm. right? He's like yeah. a, he's like a wall with legs. <laughs> right. And I'm thinking like, okay, this is a little silly. Like they're having like a face off and I'm just like, all right, maybe it's going to be like a cool David and Goliath kind of thing, like Rey Mysterio against the big show or whatever. But no, they just worked a normal match the same way they would if they were the same size. Like Ligurski is selling for Darby Allen. And I'm like, this is kind of dumb. And so that's where I I take issue. I feel like you have to book it smartly and Mm -hmm. have them – in there with somebody that it's a convincing fight and yes once in a while you can do the underdog thing where it's like oh my god how are they going to overcome these odds here but you can't overdo it you can't do it all the time because i think then it just loses any kind of impact and then it just looks um i don't know fake hate to use that word (laughs) i i would counter with it's wrestling (laughs) and you know it's just in my thought is just because someone's small does not mean they're untalented, right? And no, definitely you'll see not. you'll see Aja Kong constantly fighting women in Japan who are real size, right? And it's it's all about building, like you said, building the match more so than building a story. For me, anyways, building a match that makes sense. Aja Kong is strong, but she's not fast. And so that's where you can kind of get it is then the woman looked like, I'm not going to sit down. We're going to keep going at her. And so she's obviously got more energy real than a lot of people. I think too, with, <laughs> sounds stupid, with camera angles, with people just eyeballing people, oh, she, she can't fight, possibly can't fight. 
um thunder rosa thunder rosa is like two inches taller than her maybe 15 pounds heavier she's not that think, big of a difference i actually think thunder rosa is a great opponent for her like i think oh, she's absolutely. in that realm where it yeah. looks decent i mean because you know even some of the some of the hugest women stars like you know to me the way you book a rhea ripley Mm-hmm. or a Raquel Rodriguez mm-hmm. is not the same as how you book a Sasha Banks. Right. And, you know, because or yeah. whatever she calls herself these days, Mercedes. <laughs> Mercedes. She has incredible appeal, great charisma. She is a star. You look at her and she's a right. star, but yeah. she's not big. You know, she is right. fairly slight of frame. She doesn't have, she's not muscular. You know, she's very yeah. slight. So you you have to work to present her in a way where she still looks formidable. She doesn't she looks like a threat. She's yeah. not Charlotte Flair. I mean, Charlotte, who's like, you know, eight feet right. tall and I shoulders can. out yeah. to here. So <laughs> yeah. you have your work cut out for you, but it can be done. And she's the classic example of that it can be done because everybody yeah. looks at her as a major star. Right. And I think where I have the problem is you have Vikino, right? And he fought not too long ago, Jacob Fatu. I don't think there was any, I don't know, but I don't think there's any story there. And he, yeah. Fatu is like a hundred pounds heavier than him, a good six, seven inches. So I'm not saying everyone's being completely sexist here, but I'm saying it happens a lot. And those men are always lauded for it. Whereas Certain women are not, and no, also you're right, think- and more more than they should be, because Vikingo, I agree, is a is a perfect example of yeah, you know, he's a tiny guy, so and, small, but he's incredible. He's great, he's great, but the way but the way he works, like there's no thought put to the fact, like oh, this is a little tiny guy. Like he had the right. match with Kenny Omega, and they did exactly what I, what we were talking about. Whereas like just they just worked the match like it was any other match. Kenny right. Omega looked like he could be like his dad or something, you know? <laughs> right. I think it's a matter of finding styles because that's always an issue of finding styles that work together. I'm always very interested in in small, especially Joshi, right? Because they tend to be very small. Mm-hmm. Fighting somebody like Nyla Rose, who did go to TJPW recently, where they're flying. They're high flyers. That's what they do, most of them. Whereas Nyla is a groundwork. And I think if you book that and you build that story well enough, it can work. The, the most awesome example of women doing this is Camille versus Layla Hirsch uh, a couple years ago for NWA um, for their all women's show. You would think tiny Layla Hirsch, who was probably like 4'11", I think, and Camille, who is formidable, would not be able to put on a good match. And they did. And it was probably the best match. And I was in the crowd and everybody was the loudest and happiest for that match. So it can be done. It's just a matter of storytelling. I would say a lot of that had to do with Mickey James creating those matches and booking those matches. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it also depends on who's creating these, who's creating Rio versus Nyla, like who's building that up. I think that's important too, because if you're Mickey James, you, you've done it enough, you've fought enough people, you know, the styles and you know how to make it look maybe not necessarily believable, but like, oh, okay, this could happen. This, this person did just get lucky or, you know, whatever it may yeah. be. That, and yeah. which is great. And when, when you do it that way, that has to be part of the story of the match. Like, right. you know what I mean? Because right. that way, 
you are you're not acting like you're insulting the fans intelligence it's like you're saying right. to the fans yes we realize what this looks like yes right. this one person is so much bigger and stronger looking than this person yes right. we get that but can can this person figure out a way to win like that's what we're watching for can this person use their speed or their experience or whatever it is yeah. or their intelligence to somehow pull this out we're not going to sit here and tell you that this is an even match it's not but <laughs> no. we're we're watching yeah. to see if we might see an upset here like that's that's yeah. when it becomes interesting and i find like so for me it's in-ring storytelling that's why i think in my opinion Britt baker got so over it's not i mean her character was great but her in-ring awareness and that storytelling that they do with her inside the ring is incredible. They do it really well at New Japan. The in-ring storytelling. And I feel like if they do the in-ring storytelling right, it will overcome any of these size differences that you might see. Because there are going to exist. Like, let's say, for instance, Eddie Kingston. He's not small. But when you look at him, you don't think, okay, he's, you know, a role you know he's not huge right he's not uh what you think of when you picture a wrestler but he's got an incredible backstory and he does in-ring storytelling great and i to be clear i love Eddie kingston i'm not saying he's not a great wrestler he deserves a world but i think if you like you said and it doesn't have to be a feud doesn't have to be this long thing but in-ring storytelling that will that will make it feel like okay you'll build up that rocky feeling like oh and- he won yeah, Eddie's promos are incredible. I mean, that's like yeah, his greatest exactly. Strong suit. Exactly, he's he amazing. Is, yeah, he is like the inheritor of all the great promo artists of the past so in, in wrestling. Yeah. The Terry Funks, the Harley races. He is like he's in a class with them promo wise. In my mind, yeah, he's awesome. Absolutely. He's so he's yeah. so believable. Like he brings his true self to yeah. the promos. Like right. nobody is that good of an actor, especially in wrestling yeah. where we have notoriously <laughs> right. bad actors. Yeah, yeah. He, he funnels his real experience into what he does, which is what exactly. I love. But but one thing I like about um and some of these some of the women we've mentioned are included in this, but uh also another person I wanted to mention before is Jamie Hayter cuz she's a great mm-hmm. example of somebody who and I say this as a compliment with the understanding that it could also sound dismissive, but I feel like because women's wrestling has been so marginalized over the years and Mm -hmm. treated as an oddity that women have to work a certain way and men work a certain way. I think to me, if I see a woman wrestler who wrestles like a man, like a male wrestler would wrestle, that impresses me. Where it's not like you're not working this quote unquote woman style. You're just working sure. a great match. And Jamie Hayter is a gr- is a great example of that to me. Like seeing her in AEW, she is in there and not playing around. Like the matches that she has, the the psychology, everything she does in there, mm-hmm. every move she makes is no different than the best of the male wrestlers on the roster. There's no like um nod to oh i'm working a certain style because i'm a woman and there's there's other women in wrestling who do that uh nowadays but that's not Mm -hmm. laundry blaze actually worked that way too yeah it's not it was it was never that common in the past it was like oh it's the women's style this is what they're gonna do you know yeah i find like in japan that's the case a lot now you see people like shuri who i think could kill anybody man or woman or you my perfect example would be masha and i i think it's less like in my opinion, you're fighting like a girl and more that the focus is on their physicality. Mm -hmm. Like Masha is seen as a beast. She is the, she's incredibly 
tough and hard and um the way that they sell that and the way she moves in the ring and how she's just not afraid to cut anybody that to me says okay now you're fighting like a quote-unquote man because that's what they focus on within that for so long the women weren't seen as athletes they were seen as like you said sideshows or you're here to dress a certain way you're here to fight a a match a certain way that's going to have a different sort of appeal Mm -hmm. physical wise whereas you got Jamie Hayter who frankly I mean I've seen her on the mic in the UK when she when she fought for Eve and she's great but AW did not use her that way she had you know Brit she had people speaking for her she was all physical and I, I would say, I would argue she was one of those that got over kind of in spite of how she was booked because of her physicality, because, and I'll tell you, the UK is totally different over there, man. The Europe and UK, they, I mean, you think of Rio, a different Rio, um, you think of Lana Austin, you think of these women, they are regularly fighting other men over there. They're fighting men. So it, maybe it's just a UK thing. I don't know. But I, I find that I agree. And I think it's because... They're not focused on Jamie Hayter's looks or it's not a storyline where she's, you know, going for someone's boyfriend or right there. She is a beast. And or that's even, when you go, oh, yeah. No, I was just going to say, and the, and the looks just become incidental. It's it's right. the same thing with the male wrestlers. Like there are male wrestlers who are handsome guys. I mean, like, I you know, <laughs> well, no, yeah. but, but it but it doesn't Sold become part eyes. of their yeah. character. Like, mm-hmm. you know. Roman Reigns is a good-looking guy. Um, Randy Orton, he's getting a little older now, but a good-looking guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. but that's not like part of their character. It's not right. like it just is. The, it just is part of them as a human being. And right. that I think is a, is a step in the right direction too for the for the for women in wrestling. That uh, it's just a part of their character, and the fact, or it's not a part of their character, and the fact that it it's not the be all and end all. Like there are, and I will not name names here because I don't want to get accused of anything, but there are women (laughs) in wrestling today that would not have been given a second look years ago because looks wise, they don't match up to like the perfect tens that they want to put on television. And they wouldn't have cared how good you are in the ring or your promo or anything. It's just like, you're not pretty enough. You're out. And that is something that I'm very glad to see has gone by the wayside because that was definitely, to me, a product of the Attitude Era because it wasn't even that yeah. big of a thing before the Attitude Era. Again, <laughs> I'll say something that if they'll misquote me, but like if you watch women's wrestling in the 80s and 90s, like there's a lot of women that no one's going to be mistaking for like runway models. You know what I mean? Right. Not in yeah. a million years. But people didn't really care. But it became... Yeah. Uh, it became indispensable in the attitude era. It was like that sunny sable, that whole thing where we just have to keep trying to recreate sunny and sable over and over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the next sable? Who's the next sable? And um, I think that's when they kind of lost their way a little bit. A lot. I feel like it's a reality TV era, right? It's it's something that, you know, and of course, right. Total divas. I'm not to say that those women weren't great. I think, the Bell Twins were highly underrated. I think they were really great for their time. But yeah, and I think a lot of this depends on the fans. Like we've been talking about, if your main um, target audience is males, you know, 16 to 30 white males and they're, you know, hormones raging and they want, at least for WWE's case, what I saw, they want things a certain way. They want panty and bra matches. They want 
the innuendo that Lita is going to have sex on on a ring. Like what? That's yeah. what they want. Whereas I was there yeah. when they were doing that stuff. Yeah. Oh my lord. I will oh, never so forget sorry. the look. The look. <laughs> on Lita's face on Amy's oh, face because when, when they had to um you know the obviously people probably know but there was the real life drama where yeah um basically I guess Edge kind of stole um it feels funny using their their gimmick names but Adam stole yeah. Amy from Matt Hardy and that was real and they decided to turn it into a story and I remember like walking around Again, I would have these weird experiences walking around Titan Tower. You see weird, yeah. surreal things. And I'm walking. I just happen to be walking down the, through the suite of where the TV writers were. They have offices at the TV studio and in the corporate office. And they had poor Lita, poor Amy, like sitting in the room. And they were basically like trying to sell it to her. And I just happened right. to be walking by. And I can't oh. remember if I can't remember if Matt and Edge were in there or not, but she was definitely there. And she was, I guess the word nonplussed comes to mind. She was looking at the I floor. I can't imagine you would be. Yeah. She was just like, I don't want to hear this. And they were basically like, Whoa, it's gonna be great. And it's gonna get so much heat, and you're gonna do this. And yeah, oh. I mean, they talked her into it and she did it, but she did not want to do that. I could tell oh, you that's that. so awful. So I think a fans, they have a lot to do with it, too, about what they're calling for. And if they're not calling for certain things, if there are certain corners of the Internet that thankfully I don't see much anymore that don't think women are athletes, well, then you're not going to see them. I mean, it goes both ways. I think the promoter at the end of the day has the the authority, <laughs> like not us. Right. Not we're not the authority like they try to sell us on, but they have the authority and and at the end of the day, if it's not something they want, we're not going to see it. And it's not like these patterns have changed. It's not like, you know, I do the stats every year. It's not like people suddenly wake up and go, oh, well, we should do more than, you know, 20% of time and matches. And we should give them, you know, we should build our rosters up. No, they don't. It's a it's a systematic issue that I think it won't take the promoters and the fans to really to really cut it out, you know. Yeah, I, I think so. And it, <laughs> it 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 comes down to look, it's progress. And I don't mean the promotion. It's progress yeah. <laughs> in wrestling. And and that's a good thing. There has been progress made. We've seen mm -hmm. it. If you've been watching, you know, wrestling for enough time, like you could see the incredible amount of progress that has been made. Um, there's always room to do more, obviously, but at least it's encouraging that. And maybe it has to do with the culture. Culture has changed in a way. It's like, oh, sure, you know, yeah. we went through that period. There was a period um, maybe 10, 15 years ago where fans would always be like, oh, why can't we go back to the Attitude Era? Oh, I missed the Attitude Era. But there really was. And that's still around. But I feel like a lot of that has turned where it's like, I don't know. The mm. Attitude Era was, you know, there was some really great things. There was Rock and Austin and, you know, there was like the Ministry or Evil McMahon. And yeah, OK. Right, right. But that was like a tiny part of the show. It was the biggest part, maybe. But there was a lot of stuff that I kind of don't miss. I kind of a lot of it sucked. A lot of it was comfortable. 
Um, I stopped yeah. watching wrestling with my family because oh, I was I'm, embarrassed. I'm, yes, absolutely. Um, and at the time that I worked there, even uh, it was the tail end of it. And my kids were very young and I could not watch wrestling no. with them. And I wanted to. And now I have my son <laughs> and I'm not saying it, you know, it's Disney now. And it never went back uh, to no, the, as not. kid friendly as it was. But yeah. I feel comfortable enough to watch it with my son, who's six years old. Right. Um, you know, every now and then there'll be a little thing where I'll cringe a little bit, but but, it, <laughs> yeah. but it's a but right. it's back to being the kind of thing that pretty much anybody could watch. Like I, I also write a lot about comic books and superheroes and things, and sure. I really do believe this attitude of like, I want to live in a world where like I could take a kid to go see a Batman movie because right. it's not like some overwrought psychosexual drama. <laughs> Like it's, it's friggin' Batman. Like, right. can we, you know, right. can we make one that kids could see where it's pow, zap, powie, I'm going to put right. on my, I'm going to dress in my tights, dress like a bat and punch this yeah. clown in the face. Like, like can we show. just, can we just do that? <laughs> like where it's yeah. fun. And I feel that way about wrestling to a certain degree. Like wrestling should be able to be enjoyed by a wide audience, especially. Right. Yeah. Okay. There, there are niche products like like a GCW. Obviously, that's not right. for kids. Things like that. Right. But but right. mainstream, big cable, prime time wrestling. You should be able yeah. to sit down with your kids and watch it. That's how I feel right. about it. Yeah, I think of like like Mark Henry stories and these stories back then. There, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> and I think that's what's really empowering about advocating for women. You see people like Bianca. And they'll show you all these little girls in, in the audience and girls being interviewed about, I never saw someone who looked like me in that ring, mm-hmm. or I never felt like I could relate to any woman or any man. So, and I th- I would say WWE is a really good job of this, of creating sort of this like pool of inclusiveness as far as their wrestlers go. And I think that's important with women. If there are little girls who really, really enjoy wrestling but you might see one match and it might be three minutes. How do you think that makes them feel about themselves? Like how do they really feel like they're going to be able to do that in the future? Are they going to tune out like I did when I was 13? Of course. And so I think, I mean, not all, like you said, not all wrestling is tailored to kids, but I think it should be important to think of messaging to kids, to adults, to everybody that if, if we're going to create, if that's your goal, if you want to engage, you know, a larger audience, you have to think about messaging. And, you know, this this is a society today that's been much more inclusive than anything else in the past, really. It's been more open, at least with it. Absolutely. So you can't go out there and say certain things or, you know, be racist or be, I mean, you're going to get, you're not going to go very far. So I think it's important with messaging. And I think it's great that your six-year-old can watch some of it. <laughs> I know some young kids, my um, my friend has young kids who watch it. They're really behind and they think, oh, you interviewed Becky Lynch. And they're so interested in that. And that's great. She's she's a little girl. She sees Becky Lynch. She sees a strong woman. That's very important. Yeah. My my son gets all shy when Becky comes on TV because I think, <laughs> I think he's got a crush on her. He's got a crush on her. He won't admit it. <laughs> But he's kind of got a crush on on That's Becky so Lynch. That's so cute. Yeah, he gets all, all like, <laughs> like covers so his cute. face. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> so cute. So I'm glad. See, what we've established here today mm-hmm. is 
that wrestling is on the right track. I think. Yes. I think that's what we yes. established. Yeah. Well, it's not and, backtracking. So. And we uh, and on a podcast where I typically talk about wrestling from a very long time ago, it was <laughs> yeah. nice to connect it though. We because yeah. we did both. It was nice to connect right. it to the present and the past. Because one thing I always say, and sometimes people agree, sometimes people look at me like I'm crazy. Like I was just talking <laughs> to, I one of my guests recently. I don't know. Sure. about how i think you can learn from the past i don't think oh, you yeah. want to you don't want to go backwards you don't want to just right. make everything like it was but there are right. lessons to be learned like what worked what didn't work why didn't Absolutely. it work why did it work you can mm -hmm. learn from that and so that's why i, I actually like connecting the dots because i enjoy yeah. current wrestling and i enjoy old school <laughs> wrestling and yeah. when you you can connect the two, it that always like pleases my brain. So, <laughs> well, and that's the core of advocacy, right? I'm not a reporter, I'm not a scoopster, but I'm an advocate, and that that's the only way you can be an advocate. If you're just starting off here, how can you tell that you've you've done any work? You know, so you have to look at the past, and you have to think of the future. So yeah, I like I like looking at both. Well, thanks for doing that with us here this week on <laughs> Shut Up and Wrestle, Kristen. I really appreciated it. Thanks for having me. It was fun. There you have it, folks. My conversation with Kristen Ashley of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Kristen, thank you so much for agreeing to be a part of the show. That was a very fun conversation, and I thank you to everyone who listened to it. And now I would also like to invite you to continue to listen to this show week to week. As you know, we always have new guests coming to Shut Up and Wrestle, and I'm pleased to announce that next week for episode 108, we have writer and historian Steve Johnson. Steve's written a lot of great stuff on wrestling, some great books, some of them along with Greg Oliver, and it is going to be a great conversation that I know you are going to love. So do keep listening. We have other guests on the way including Mike Rogers, Pacific Northwest Portland wrestling historian Mike Rogers. He's written a few books on the topic, including Katie Bar the Door. He will be coming to the show, as well as Colin Hunter, who used to write for PWI many moons ago, but is best known today as the man behind Kayfabe News. That was tons of fun, and I can't wait to share it with you. Other ones on the way, I don't want to mention anything until it's totally firmed up and written in stone, but rest assured, as always, great guests on the way here at Shut Up and Wrestle. If you like the show, why don't you consider maybe possibly providing a small financial contribution, as some have done, and I'm very grateful for that. It is a free show, so if you want to show your support and appreciation, if you go to my Twitter page, Brian R. Solomon, you'll see a link at the top to contribute via Cash App and Venmo. If you would like to contribute via PayPal, on PayPal, you can find me at Solomon at yahoo.com. There's so many ways that you can listen to Shut Up and Wrestle. Our website is suawpod.com. There's also all the usual places, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Podcast Addict, and the rest. While you're at it, join the Facebook group. Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon, 1,300 members strong and growing every single day. Some of the other projects that I work on, The Wrestling News from Arcadian Vanguard, TheWrestlingNews.com, or find it on the Arcadian Vanguard YouTube page. 
your daily morning update on everything you need to know on the world of professional wrestling. My books, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original sheet, as well as Superheroes, the history of a pop culture phenomenon from Ant-Man to Zorro, available wherever books are sold. If you're interested in a signed copy, I know some people have been reaching out. If you're one of those people, you can get me at Solomon at yahoo.com, and we can discuss making that possible for you. The magazines that I write for, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, pwi-online.com is where you will find it. I'm also the co-host of the PWI podcast, by the way, with the great Al Castle. If you're looking for that one, you will find a lot more talk about current pro wrestling than you find here. So it's worth a listen, as well as Inside the Ropes magazine, which you can get in digital or print form at insidetheropesmagazine.com. If you're looking for me on social media, you will find me on Twitter and Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. And on Facebook, you can find my author page, Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author website on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and saying, may all your days be circus days. So long, wrestling fans. 